Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. But before I read that, please pray with me. Give us ears, O God, to hear your word beyond our own expectations. Let your Holy Spirit infuse us with insight in the light of your continued epiphany in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting nearby, they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questioning, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins— He has said to the one who is paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately, he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I try so hard to capture these picture-perfect moments of our son Davis, but for some reason, when the lens of a camera or the back of a cell phone comes around, It's like he shuts down. He either is looking over here or messing with his shirt or, best of all, just completely turns around. This summer, I finally found the trick. Davis and I were playing in the backyard in his kiddie pool, and I wanted to catch the moment for our family in North Carolina. And being too lazy to stand up since I was already seated on the ground beside him, I took my phone and turned it around to selfie mode. I did my regular routine. All right, Davis, it's time for us to take a picture. Say cheese. And lo and behold, he looked at the camera and went, cheese, with his two bottom teeth and the biggest grin. I could not believe it. I had finally captured that picture-perfect moment. And just to test it out, to see if it was just a fluke or if I was actually on to something, I did a few more. And I said, all right, look at the camera. Can you say, hey, Mammy? And sure enough, he'd just smile and wave. 
I don't know if it's the vanity he inherited from me or if it's something that's inside of each of us, but it seems that when he could see himself, he began to connect. I think that's why this sermon series for many people this month is hitting home. Because when we take a a moment to look in the scripture and see ourselves, we begin to hear it anew. We begin to hear the familiar lessons for us in a new way. And like Davis, when the Camry goes in selfie mode, we perk up and something sparks within our hearts. And what a familiar story we have today. Jesus is in the midst of calling his disciples. So far, Peter, James, and John have agreed to follow this up-and-coming teacher. Jesus continues his ministry of teaching, mixing in healings here and there. And he started to gain a bit of a reputation. Such that one day, he's teaching to a crowd that seems to gather a bit of the who's who's. Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders and their advisors, if you will, have come from every village, from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, to see what this Jesus is up to. Naturally, they didn't gather in some public square, but rather in the home of one of their peers, where they could have a more intimate setting with Jesus where they could take in his teaching and, if need be, raise a few questions. And as he's teaching, there begins to be some commotion out on the patio. It's almost as if there's someone trying to push through, but no mind. This skirmish seems to be handled by the host. Things quiet down, and those gathered go back to focusing on Jesus. Have you ever seen The Greatest Showman? Of course I was going to watch it because ever since Hugh Jackman played Wolverine, he has had my heart. And to top it off, I am a sucker for musicals. However, there's a scene in the movie that breaks my heart every time and almost squelches my love for Hugh. His character, P.T. Barnum, has spent his life earnings creating the greatest show on earth by taking seemingly misfit and outcast characters and putting them on display. He does it under the guise of giving them the home, of being one of them, of wanting them to have a place to belong. And the misfits, they believe him. They've bought the line that they are his family. And so when Barnum hosts a new venture, bringing the incredible opera singer Jenny Lynn to perform, of course, the misfits get dressed up and go to hear her perform. At first, Barnum is discreet about his embarrassment, claiming that space is limited, leaving the misfits to stand in the wings and watch Lynn's performance. But no mind, they still get to experience her beautiful voice and they'll celebrate with Barnum after. When the performance ends, instead of receiving the greeting of family, 
Barnum tells them to go home and closes the door in their face so that the aristocrats he's entertaining don't witness this band of misfits. And that's when it hits them. And the anthem of the whole movie unleashes. Instead of sulking off in the back alley of the opera house, this band of misfits gathers themselves and comes around front and center, marching through the grand lobby of all the who's who's of their city who are gathered, proclaiming, look out, because here I come. I'm not scared to be seen. This is me. In that moment, they are claiming for themselves what Barnum has pretended to offer. They are claiming wholeness as they are, whether or not he wants them to be seen. In our gospel lesson this morning, that skirmish on the patio didn't stop the band of friends either. They gathered themselves and found another way to get their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. They mount the roof, and one tile after another, they refuse to be pushed away. One tile after another, they proclaim that their friend will not go unseen. One tile after another, they make their way to Jesus so that the man who is paralyzed can be made whole. Jesus looks up as the man is lowered down from the roof in front of him, and he's moved because of these friends with the faith that they have shown, what links they have gone to in order for this man to make it to Jesus. And so he offers those words, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. (gasps) You hear the gasps and the murmurs. There are clearly some side conversations going on. All of those scholars and their advisors are asking, Who does he think he is? How can he claim to know what God wants? And there's chatter up on the roof, too. I mean, that's nice and all, but Jesus, we brought him here so you could make him walk. Sensing the tension, Jesus hits them with that two-sided question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up and walk? Either way, it's a tricky question. You see, if you just say your sins are forgiven, no one can prove what you did or didn't do. On the other hand, if you're truly a religious scholar, how would you have the audacity to say that it's easy to forgive sins? But Jesus doesn't let them get caught up in this internal debate. Rather, he looks back to the man and continues his pronouncement. I say to you, stand up, take your bed, and go home. Jesus offers healing and forgiveness, or more accurately, forgiveness 
and healing. It was certainly a debate for the who's who in Jesus' crowd that day as to whether he could offer forgiveness. And somehow, I think we're in a similar debate today. No matter what place you find yourself on the political spectrum, the events of the past year have shown us that there are fractures in our country. There is racial injustice still stalking our door. There are many who feel that their voice is not heard or represented in our capital. And we are divided more than many of us can ever remember. We are in need of healing. But when Christ brought healing in our lesson today, He did not simply heal the man. He offered forgiveness. And I think that's a key step in the process, that we have to be willing to forgive each other, even our enemies. And I say this as someone who struggles with forgiveness because I feel like there needs to be consequences for our actions. After all, God is a God of justice. But Nadia Bowles-Weather, a Lutheran pastor from Colorado, has helped me reframe my understanding of what it means to forgive. You see, in her book, Pastrix, she shares that she used to think that in order to forgive, you were saying that the other person's actions were okay or acceptable. But now she understands that instead, what forgiveness does is cut the chains of anger fear, and resentment that hold us back. You see, a pastor friend of hers, Don, lost his job after doing a funeral. Not just any funeral. The funeral of Dylan Klebold, one of the shooters at Columbine High School. Don did not believe that Dylan's actions were acceptable. And it wasn't easy for him to officiate that funeral. But he did believe that the promises given to Dylan by God at his baptism were more powerful than the acts of evil he had committed. Don was proclaiming that evil is not more powerful than good. He was living out his faith, embodying forgiveness even as it cost him his livelihood. Healing can come, but we have to be willing to embody forgiveness in order for that to happen. Last weekend, we had the privilege of getting away for a couple of days. So Thomas Davis and I went to the Grand Canyon of the South, Providence Canyon. Even with the cool temperatures, it was still such a unique view to behold. Of course, we had to make sure that we documented it, and so, like I shared earlier, the best way for us to get a family picture with Davis is to turn the camera to selfie mode. We found a good backdrop situated in a pocket of Canyon 3. I stood over Thomas's shoulder. Davis, who was in the backpack, looked over the other side. 
and we all said cheese. As we were hiking back to the, from the canyon to go have our lunch, I was scrolling through the pictures when I saw her, the photobomber. Now, if you're not familiar with this term, photobombing is the idea that when you see someone nearby taking a picture, you go into stealth mode and sneak into the background so that you're in their picture without them noticing. I don't know who this girl is. I'm not sure where she came from, but there she is in the background of our perfect Canyon family selfie throwing up a peace sign. She's far enough off that I feel like we could probably airbrush her out of the background and no one would ever know she was there, but that peace sign kind of makes me giggle and so I let her stay. The man who was paralyzed in our gospel lesson this morning reminds me a bit of our photo bomber. You see, he doesn't speak at all in our story. We don't know how he became paralyzed or if he's asked his friends to take him to see Jesus. We don't know much about him except that he's in need of forgiveness and healing. When he receives it, he does just what Jesus tells him. He picks up his mat and goes home, praising God. He is certainly the bearer of joy in our lesson. And as good as I feel when I get to this ending of our story, it's that time for us to take a selfie, to look in the mirror of Scripture and ask where we see ourselves. Am I so scared of what it might cost me that I'm trying to keep the peace? Is my silence barricading the voiceless and keeping them from getting to Jesus, preventing those who need to be lifted up from coming center stage? With all the tension that's been felt over the past year, because of violence towards people of color, because of the never-ending pandemic, and a tumultuous election season, all I've wanted to do is hide. So I post another cute picture of my kid in hopes of distracting myself and maybe a few of you from the brokenness that we see all around us. But I don't want to be the who's who in our story. It's exhausting seeing a Pharisee in my scripture selfie. You see, I long to see myself in those friends, the ones who say, look out, here we come. I long to courageously step out in faith to lift up those who have been cast aside and left unheard. I want to embody forgiveness so that the chains of anger, fear, and resentment will be broken not just for me, but for our whole community so that healing can come. 
Perhaps I'm not alone in this selfie. Maybe you found yourself by my side. The good news of our gospel lesson this morning is that the man who had been healed was not the only one who left glorifying God. Verse 26 says, Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God. And so my hope this day, my prayer, is that we may choose again or choose anew to be a part of the story that brings glory to God.